What's up, guys? So here today on the podcast, we're going to dive into a new division since I finished the whole NFC East um, on the fantasy outlooks of each team. We're going to talk about we're going to switch to the NFC West today, and I'm going to start it off with the Seahawks. So Seattle is super interesting because obviously Russell Wilson's their guy offensively, the quarterback, the leader, their best player. And Russell was technically, I think he finished uh, quarterback five last year. But as anybody who had him as their quarterback last year will tell you, he had a significant dip in production over the final seven games, uh, over those final seven games specifically. But he, hold on, okay, but he, he, in the beginning of the year, from weeks one through nine, I believe it was, yeah, one through nine, Russell was QB two, in uh, from a points per game standpoint, fantasy points per game. Um, I mean, the first nine weeks he was completing sixty eight percent of his passes for two hundred and seventy eight yards a game. He had twenty two touchdowns to one interception. That's a quarterback rating of one eighteen point two, and his sack ratio was somewhat decent for him in that offensive line where he was only sacked once every 13.3 passes um russell's right now being drafted as qb5 in the fourth to fifth round and i just I, I as much as i love russell as a pure quarterback and talent i i cannot spend a fifth round pick on him i know even if i wasn't a guy that was totally against drafting quarterback early there's just no way I'm I'm taking this guy uh, as a um, fifth round pick or a top five quarterback over <clears throat> over the final seven games of twenty eight of twenty nineteen. His completion percentage dropped five points from sixty eight to sixty three. And let me let me preface this because it's going to sound like I'm bashing on him. I'm not bashing Russell. I think he's a top two or three quarterback in the NFL easily. I think he is extremely clutch. I think he's electric you know he makes things happen that no other quarterback that i've ever watched can can do and he does it's just his creativity uh when when plays break down his his accuracy his touch he throws the better one of the better deep balls in the nfl so by no means do i mean to sound like i'm bashing russell wilson i think he's phenomenal i love him um but that being said, his his production significantly declined over the final seven games of last season. His completion percentage went down five points to 63%. He averaged about 50 less passing yards per game. His touchdowns went from 22 over the first nine games to just nine over the final seven games. So just barely over one passing touchdown per game. And he threw four interceptions over the final seven, whereas he had only thrown one over the first nine. So over that time, he was QB 26 from a points per game perspective, averaging 14.7, 14.65 points per game. So um, like I said, I, I definitely respect Russell. He's an elite player. He'll obviously play better than he did over those final seven games, but just that type of volatility, a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Seahawks are a run first, run heavy team. And a lot of 
also has to do with the fact that they are their offensive line has issues, particularly as a pass blocking unit. So for all the people that that, you know, Seahawks analytics, Twitter that like to jump on and say, you know, they need to pass the ball 40, 50 times a game or whatever, and they'd be better for that. I promise you that if they if Seattle passed the ball more. Russell would be under even more pressure on a per on a just on a sack ratio per drop back basis. Um, he would be that that offensive line is actually ta- it's it's taken care of by the running game in terms of just the, they're going to run the ball so much that defenses can't pin their ears back. And Seattle's always right in the thick of it, if not winning the game. So teams can't pin their ears back. If teams could actually pin their ears back and just know they were passing, man, that's 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 that'd be it. Could get ugly, and and I and Russell would still make the most of it because he's a great player, but things would get ugly. So over the final seven games, guys, and that's not a small sample size. That's a half a season. Russ was QB twenty six. That just shows you why you should not draft a quarterback early. I know I'm like seriously sounding like a broken record with this, but it's true. Um, anyway, so moving on to running backs, Chris Carson is obviously their guy, preferably their guy. Um, he's being drafted as RB 18 in the top of round four. So I am okay with that value there. I I'm, I'm not thrilled about it because I feel like all of us are just brushing under the rug. The fact that Chris Carson broke his hip in 2019. I mean, that's, I'm no doctor, but to me that even though I know he's his recovery is going well and all that stuff, to me it just sounds like you're going to draft a guy that just is coming off a broken hip, you know, and I, and obviously that's probably reflected in his ADP and the reason why a guy that finished as RB10 last year in points per game is is available at the top of round 4. And you know, if you really want him to take him at the end of round 3, that's fine. I think that the main thing with Carson is we need we need to know we need to be very careful and monitor his health and what what reports are coming out about his health because the I mean broken hips are again I'm no doctor but that seems pretty significant to me so weeks yeah he finished last year half PPR leagues is RB10 in 2019 and I only go from when I say he finished, I mean weeks one through 16, because I don't count week 17 because it can skew numbers just because a lot of guys don't play full the full game in, in week 17 or some guys don't play at all. So I only go through weeks one through 16. Um, in, tw- in 2019, from weeks four to 15, Carson averaged 23 touches total. T- I mean, not that's catches and carries combined. 23 touches for 110 plus yards and seven touchdowns from that time. He was dominant over that stretch. And he clearly was their guy in terms of just the workhorse. You didn't have to worry about, you know, hit his touches at all or his opportunity percentage, as we like to say, it was there. He started slow last year in the first three games. He, he averaged 15 carries for 53 yards. Um, but even then he was still catching the ball about three times a game. So his fantasy value in points per catch leagues was, was a little high, but in, um, let me see in his last three games of last season, he was averaging 
21 carries for 104 yards and three and, and a touchdown a game. So he he started a little slow. Then he from really from weeks four on, he was awesome. Um, but again, guys, he he's coming off a broken hip. Seattle signed Carlos Hyde, who, by the way, as we segue into Carlos Hyde, Carlos Hyde averaged. I mean, Carlos Hyde ran for a thousand plus yards last season. First time in his career he's ever done that. But he is. And the reason why Carlos Hyde was, I believe, a second round pick in real life <laughs> um, is because he he's a good player. And my point about that, just to finish on Carson, is the Seahawks draft. I mean, the Seahawks signed Carlos Hyde and they still have Penny coming back. And granted, he's coming back from injury as well. But in my opinion, you need to be very careful and, and very thoughtful when you draft Carson if you do it the top around four I, again that's fine but you need to be doing your research and monitor his health status because coming off of a broken hip if you're going to spend an early fourth round pick on that guy you better be damn sure he's playing and he's actually going to be the Chris Carson of old so I haven't done a ton of research digging into the hip and what to expect and think like from other people who have had such injuries but I think that if nothing else, we need to be very careful. And it may be a great, it may be a very good steal of a value at the top of round four, just like he was last year. And if you guys remember, I was pounding the table for drafting Chris Carson last year in round four. I was all over it. And I was obviously right on that because he had a phenomenal year. And um, yeah, I just think that we need to, Again, monitor the health situation very closely. So Carlos Hyde is their second running back, in my opinion. I mean, it could be Penny. It's basically Hyde slash Penny as that second guy. Hyde's being undrafted, guys. He's he's not he's not being drafted. And and last year, the only red flag that I have with Hyde is that last year, over the first ten games. He was averaging 77 yards and, and about 4.9 yards per carry, and he had six touchdowns over the first 10 games. Over the final six, he averaged only 50 rushing yards per game and at about a three and a half yards per carry average, and he had just two touchdowns. So he did sort of slow down a little bit. If you want to say it was slowing down or maybe it was just matchup based, I haven't been able to dig too deep into that. But at the end of the day, Hyde is in a really interesting spot because you you can literally draft him with your last pick in your draft. You, you can take him in rounds 14 or 15. I, I tweeted out earlier today, Hyde and Adrian Peterson are guys you can literally take super late that may be at least starting running backs early that are, are our first and second down guys. They, they could easily have that role because I don't think Penny will be ready for week one or last I checked, he wouldn't be. And if Carson isn't a hundred percent, Carlos Hyde on a run first team could be a low end RB two in my opinion. If if Carson isn't isn't um, playing or if he isn't fully healthy, I think Hyde has even if Car even if Carson's playing, I think there's a chance Hyde could be a low end you know matchup based flex guy. But I think that if anything happens to Hyde, Car I mean if anything happens to Carson. Hyde will be a legitimate low-end RB2, which is a solid, you know, starter for you every week. Um, I mean, the opportunity share will be there because of the the uh, 
style of offense that it is. They're going to run the ball. They're committed to it. Hyde is a perfect fit from the standpoint of just a tough running, stout. He's a bigger back, and he's about like 5'10", 220 or something like that. He's a big, strong guy, just like Carson, just like Marshawn Lynch of the past, and even Penny's about that size. So he's a guy that has value, and I think that even if he's nothing like what I'm saying and, and Carson is fine all year, I think Hyde is a guy that that can be a very good handcuff and just a guy that you're going to want on your roster, especially late, especially at his ADP. So keep an eye on the Carson situation and um, listen to what Pete Carroll's saying about Hyde because that matters. And they, and they paid him a pretty decent chunk of money for this year too. So for running back money, it was like four or five million for the season. So it shows you they want to make sure they're set at running back and they want to make sure that just in case Carson and Hyde, I mean, Carson and Penny go down like they did last year, they want to have a guy with fresh legs like Carlos Hyde in there that can, that they know can carry the ball 20 times a game if they need to. So um, Rashad Penny, Rashad Penny is very interesting. He's been so frustrating for so many of us, including myself. I had a, I think a late first round grade on Rashad Penny coming out of college. So I was one of the people that was very, very high on Penny. Just his overall skill set reminded me a little bit of um, Le'Veon Bell, I think it was. Just his very patient style at his size and with his vision and kind of feel in in the in between the tackles as a runner and as a pass catcher. But it hasn't really materialized for Penny. Um well, it has in spurts. I'll take that back. It has in spurts, but then also Chris Carson, who was a seventh-round pick the year before, just has outplayed him in every sense of the word. So I wouldn't necessarily call Penny a bust as much as I would call Carson a ray of sunshine as a seventh-round pick. You know, he's Carson has just been really good. Carson's been elite. I think I saw a stat today from Pro Football Focus saying he has – the second most forced missed tackles over the last two or three years. So um, he's no joke. But anyways, Penny over the first seven games was solid in his limited action, was getting about five carries for 24 yards a game. But And he was averaging 4.6 yards a carry with those, so that was fine. The heartbreaking thing for Penny last year was over the final two games he had and I'm just going to read both stat lines to you. A game against Philadelphia, he had 14 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown. Then the That's 9.2 yards per carry for anybody that's counting. <laughs> um, against Minnesota the following week, he had 15 carries for 74 yards and a touchdown. So a- against Minnesota, he also aver- or added in four catches for 33 yards and a touchdown. So... Over the final two games before he got hurt, unfortunately, he averaged, I mean, he he carried the ball 29 times over a two-game span, 29 times for 203 yards, two touchdowns, averaged seven yards a carry. So Penny, in my opinion, has a floor of a guy that's just pretty much unrosterable unless you want to just hold him as a handcuff for whatever reason. Um, but his ceiling, I think, on the other hand, I think his ceiling is actually higher than... Carlos Hyde's for sure. And his ceiling, if he was handed the the reins and, and was the guy they were committed to giving the ball 20 plus times a game to, I think his ceiling is even higher than Chris Carson's. I think he's at least as good as a 
or, or as good of a receiver. Um, I thought he was better until last year. We saw the receiving side of Carson, but I think Penny's a really good receiver. And I think that his ability to make big plays, make those splash plays is better than is a little bit better than Chris Carson's. So I think obviously he's another, he's another running back on this team. That's not even being drafted. So you can take him late if you have a feeling, but I don't think you'd even have to take him because I don't think he'll be ready for week one. So he's a guy you just want to keep an eye on, maybe pick him up a week or two before he plays um, if he does miss time and and just hold on to him for a couple games and see what he does with his opportunity if and when he does receive one because his his ceiling is high, his floor is pretty much unrosterable. So just to put that out there, that's how I feel about Rashad Penny. Now, moving on to the wide receivers. Um, Tyler Lockett is their number one guy. He is being drafted as wide receiver 19 in the fifth rounds. Lockett, over the first nine games of 2019, caught 59 passes for 767 yards and six touchdowns, and he caught 82% of his targets. He was awesome. He was averaging about, that's about seven catches for 85 yards and almost a touchdown per game. From weeks 10 through 16, it kind of plummeted. He was wide receiver 61 from weeks 10 through 16 from a fantasy points per game output. Um, In the first nine games, he was wide receiver six in that same category, fantasy points per game. So, yeah, on the final seven games, man, he just – I know people say he was hurt and he did play less snaps, about on average 10% less to 15% less snaps per game but he was still playing 50 to 60 uh, plays a game and his targets went down excuse me targets went down to about 5.4 targets per game receptions went down to only 3.3 catches a game so he was like a guy that was catching the ball three times a game for 42 yards and only had two touchdowns over the final seven games so he um, slowed down significantly. Now, the bright side, the silver lining, if you are a guy that, that wants Tyler Lockett, here is your argument. Over or in the playoff game against Green Bay, particularly, he played well in the beginning game against the Eagles also, but in the game against Green Bay, he caught nine of 10 targets for 136 yards and a touchdown. Now, here's the thing with Lockett Lockett's a good player, he's going to have really big games. And in, but the thing is in that offense, the reason why he went off against the Packers or one of the reasons was because Seattle was losing and they had to come back and win. So that, so that transforms their offense from that run first run heavy attack to the one where there is more opportunity to go around. So Lockett is going to have games where he's got one catch for eight yards. That's just going to happen. Um, and he's going to have games where he goes nine for 136 in a touchdown. So that's okay. But I think that when when you're already that type of player and then you factor that in, couple that with the fact that you're in an offense that is going to naturally make you that kind of player anyways, I think that we need to be very careful about spending our fifth round pick on Tyler Lockett. I think that the overall situation, especially with now a healthy Will Disley coming back and, a, and a Greg Olson being added to the uh, to the receiving course as a tight end, I think that makes 
the opportunity even slightly less this year. And I, yeah, I just think that for a fifth round receiver, especially with how loaded we are at receiver after in rounds four and later, particularly, I think we need to be very careful about, about taking a guy with such a low floor like Tyler Lockett. Um, if you feel incredibly good about your, your team after the fourth round and you feel like you've got very high floor, high ceiling guys, um, then I guess you could do it if you really think that Lockett's going to go off. But I prefer not to own receivers that are going to have a limited opportunity share in a, in a very run heavy scheme. I prefer not to do that, especially if there are other options on their team and with this situation with Lockett and the, in the inconsistency that he's shown to be at times last year, I think he's a guy that we need to just stay away from in round five. That's, that's my advice to you there. Um, so DK Metcalf is the other, the other big time receiver there, the other fantasy relevant receiver. DK is being drafted as wide receiver 22, just barely after Lockett. He's being taken in the fifth or sixth round. Um, and DK, like Lockett, started off hot. First 10 games, he had six of almost 600 receiving yards and five touchdowns, averaging 17 yards a catch. And he was wide receiver 32 in half PPR leagues in terms of points per game. Final five games, he was averaging three catches for 45 yards a game, just like Lockett. Um, the average catch went down to 13 yards a game, and he was wide receiver 60 from ele- weeks 11 through 15. However, over the final three games of 2019, and this is promising for DK because sometimes rookies just hit a wall at some point in the season, and it seemed like maybe that could have been what happened to DK in those in those five games. <clears throat> but over the final three games, including the playoffs, this is including both playoff games, he bounced back and finished strong. He was being targeted almost nine times a game, was catching about almost six passes per game for 100 yards. So he was averaging, basically, if we round up just slightly, he was averaging six catches for 100 yards a game. And he had an average of 17.6 yards per catch, and he had two touchdowns in those three games. So DK probably has maybe even a higher ceiling on a week-to-week basis than Tyler Lockett. Uh, some people may not agree with that, but his floor, in my opinion, is is even lower because it's just the style of receiver he is. He's not running a bunch of easy routes to where you're going to, you know, shallow routes. You know, he's running deep to intermediate style routes. He's running more high degree of difficulty, but he's so damn physically gifted that he will make plays and you never know when he'll have a huge game. Let me give you an example. I was in the, I think it was championship week last year in the league, my home league that I actually won the championship in. My opponent had DK Metcalf. He, DK had been going off like for most of the season. So I was a little bit nervous about it because I think DK was a late game or late afternoon game. And I was worried about DK. You know, I'm like, damn, this guy's going to go off. I'm going to lose. I think Metcalf put up a donut if I recall correctly, or like maybe like two points or something like that. I think he had like one catch for whatever, a couple yards. So he literally gifted me a championship and my opponent 
a loss in the championship because he decided to have one of those games where he showed his low floor at the absolute worst time for my opponent. And my opponent is a guy that, I mean, what are you going to do? Like, here's here's the issue with having those guys that are so boomer bust on a weekly basis. What was he supposed to do? Bench him? Like, DK was playing well. He was trying to ride the hot hand or whatever. <clears throat> and he, it's just, it gets you in a position. When you spend a fifth-round pick on DK Metcalf or a guy like that or a sixth-round pick, it puts you in a position to where you have to feel comfortable starting him every week. Essentially, I think, you know, you, you want to feel like you can most likely start your fifth or sixth round pick on an every week basis. And if you, if it's a guy like this that you can start every week, but then you never know when he's going to flop like that, it can happen in the worst times and it can really hurt your team because I should have lost that game, but I won. Thank you, DK. So my, uh, my advice would be, Stay away from DK in the fifth or sixth rounds. If you can get him in the seventh or eighth for some lucky reason, take him. Um, but I find fantasy football to be a more challenging game when you have boomer bust guys like that that you have to try and predict the matchup on because you never know how NFL defenses are going to defend a specific team on a specific week. So even matchups that look good at times don't end up being good matchups because Maybe they're going to double DK or whatever the schematic differences are on a weekly basis. But um, I try to avoid the boomer bust guys for that reason, because I don't want to make those difficult decisions on a weekly basis. You want to you want to ease the tension of decision making for yourself. And you do that by getting guys with a little higher floor. I'm I'm cool with the boom bust in some ways if I'm getting them later and and I don't feel the pressure of like I have to start them because I invested xyz into them but yeah at the fifth or sixth round price i'm staying away from dk so tight ends will disley is not necessarily the number one tight end that'll probably be greg olson at least to start off the season but disley he only had one catch for 12 yards in week one as we know he was he missed he got injured in the sixth game of the season and he was out for the rest of the year but over the so Week one, he had just one catch for 12 yards, but over the next four games, this guy caught 22 of 24 targets for 250 yards and four touchdowns. Um, I'm going to keep it short and simple with this. You want to keep a very close eye on him. You want to listen to what Pete Carroll is saying about his injuries and just kind of, and also what his role might or might not be. You're not going to have to draft him. He's not getting drafted, but I think that watch how they use Disley early on and he may become essentially this quote-unquote starter or they may run a lot more 12 personnel where he's on the field anyways and I, I think that he as the season progresses he could end up being a startable tight end at least and his ceiling is I'd say mid-range tight end one even with Olsen there because Olsen's older you know, Olsen is a guy that they want to stabilize that tight end room. But Disley is a guy that has shown the ability to be able to produce at a pretty high level early on in his career. So his only question has been staying healthy. And I bet that's the only reason why they signed Greg Olsen. So, um, yeah, I think 
you don't have to draft Disley. I don't recommend you drafting him, but I think that he's a guy you should definitely keep an eye on. And if he's getting targets early in the year, I would pick him up because that may mean that they're ready to just unleash him fully. And he's shown that he can catch the ball and be a dynamic receiver, especially a touchdown scorer. So that's uh, um, Greg Olson is being drafted as tight end 21, so ahead of Disley. And that's pretty much the last round of the drafts. He's not he's not even really being drafted all the time. So if he is, it's going very, very late. Um, Greg finished last season with 52 catches for 597 yards and two touchdowns. Um, he has some gas left in the tank, but I don't see him being a very consistent guy in terms of really uh, impactful fantasy guy. I think I see him being consistent as an overall tight end for the Seahawks, but I, I don't see him in being a consistent fantasy option. Um, may catch a few touchdowns. I mean, he'll have a decent year. He can still play, but I just think that he'll be a headache as you if he's your guy that you're trying to bank on as a weekly starter. But um, but yeah, keep an eye on him and just kind of you know he he could be a low end tight end one so. Seattle's defense do not do not draft them. If they end up becoming a good unit as the season goes on, stream them. That's great; they'll be available. But um, yeah, so that's about it, guys. Um, I'm going to try and get another one out today, but it may have to wait until tomorrow. Uh, let me know what you guys think of these podcasts. If you could DM me and um, let me know your feedback. All right, guys, thanks for listening.